Again, if you're a guest with us or if you haven't been here with us the last couple of weeks, we've uh, been doing a series on marriage. Uh, so if you're interested, you can certainly jump online, bethanytc.org, check out some of the messages that have um, been given the last couple of weeks. And this morning, we're going to continue and conclude that series. Um, and looking this morning at one component of the mission of marriage, um, the first week, if you were here, was a real simple, kind of a lowest common denominator call to us to understand marriage as covenant and one that is not broken apart from death and um, one that we are obliged to until that point and, and that not being a burdensome command because it's a parable of the gospel and that God has made covenant with us and he doesn't break covenant with us and so he's asked us to, to portray that covenant that he has with us through our commitments in our marriages. So no matter how difficult marriage gets, no matter how challenging, we don't have an out, we don't have any excuses. And the harder it is, the more earnest the call is for us to demonstrate that covenant of God's love to us because it's hard for God to love us. I mean, I I say that a little tongue in cheek. It's not hard for God to love us, but if it was me, it would be hard for God to love us. If I was God, it would be hard to love me, right? Because God is love. It's not actually hard for him. But when I think about God loving me, I think that must be hard. It's not hard for him. That's how much he loves. I like him for that. But that was our first message that we in marriage, in our maintaining our covenant together, regardless of the difficulty We're pointing to the gospel because marriage is a parable of that. And then last week we talked about being more than just married. Talked about um, the fact that uh, the, the, the point was simply that simply staying married doesn't necessarily do full justice to that parable. The more that we love, respect each other and, and walk in that submitted lifestyle to one another, the greater that that parable is actually illustrated. And so that was last week. And this morning, I want to look at one, com- one other component, just simply the mission of marriage in regards to children. Uh, I mentioned this passage the first week in Malachi chapter 2, and I talked a little bit more about the context of it then, and so if you're interested, you can certainly read more. But if you look with me at Malachi 2, uh, starting in, in just in verse 15, uh, the, the context is, is briefly, Malachi the prophet is rebuking the people of Israel and saying, hey, if, you, if you're interested in knowing why God doesn't listen to you anymore, here's why. He says, um, you know, you, you haven't been faithful to the wife of your youth. And then he makes a strong argument for God's desire within marriage, kind of contrasting where the people of Israel actually were. Verse 15, he says, did he not make them one? Speaking of the married couple, the man and the woman, with a portion of the spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. It's a very revealing passage about the desire that God has for godly offspring. For a new generation that knows who he is. And a new generation that knows who he is through the testimony of their parents. He wanted godly offspring, so guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. And he goes on. This morning, I want to just highlight the mission of marriage in part being raising up godly offspring. Because that's what God wants. He made it so clear through Malachi. He wants God-fearing children. He wants a new generation to know Him. And if you've perhaps studied 
you know, the scriptures, if you've read through the Old Testament, you kind of see this roller coaster of generations where there, there, there's a, a flood of, of revelation of God. There's revival. The law is read again in public and people repent and they respond rightly to God as he desires and, and they respond in faith. And it just seems like, you know, when you read it uh, and really read through it, you kind of get this hope like, please don't let this go because, you know, pa- chapters earlier you were reading about the judgment that God was bringing as a result of generations forgetting him and not remembering the commands of God and what their fathers and mothers had taught them. And there's just this agony in your heart. Please don't go back there. I want it to be good. And, and that is the desire of God for generations to learn the, the glory of God through their parents. God wants um, children to grow up knowing him in families. And I know this is really simple, but I've, been, I've marveled somewhat recently at just the mechanism that God created in the family to do this very thing. You know, the proportion of children to adults can't ever get so excessive by natural means that it's impossible to handle. Although I will tell you that uh, welcoming our fifth child recently has challenged that presupposition. Um, I, I really believe that it's actually not possible, uh, you know, biologically even to for, for two adults to be so overwhelmed with children that it's beyond their capacity to care for them. Again, I know there's circumstances where that seems like, and maybe yours, you're thinking, I have one, and it feels like it's totally overwhelming. But, but God created this mechanism called the family in which um, children have the structure and have the things in place that they need, not only for their physical needs to be met, of course, that's incredibly important, and as we, you know, even invite you again tonight to the prayer meeting, praying for the, the fatherless, the orphaned. You know, the statistics are staggering out there. And they, t- t- today they say over 18 million children to, in the earth today have no parents. Zero parents. And depends on your definition of orphan. But in addition to those 18.3 million who have no parents, 55 plus million have no mother. And over 126 million have no father. And you wonder why the world is in the state that it's in. It's because that basic mechanism that God created for the nurturing and the protection and the care of children, the next generation, has just been so attacked, be it by death, by neglect, abuse, just simple oversight. And God's desire, you know, is obviously, clearly, that beyond some basic sustenance, beyond the basic needs that a child has, that they would grow knowing God through their family. That's his desire. He wants godly offspring, not simply offspring. Offspring's good because when there's offspring, there's the potential then for them to be godly offspring. So that's a good starting point. But he doesn't want simply offspring. He wants godly offspring. So much so that in Psalm 68, 6, I love this passage. It says that God sets the lonely in families. God pinpoints those, which is a staggering number when you consider, but he takes those brokenhearted, the lonely, those who have been plucked from that God-ordained system for them to be nurtured and raised and protected and fed, uh, and he places them, and it's his desire to place them in families, because family is the base structure that God has created for children to be raised. And I've just marveled, I've 
just personally, I've just thanked the Lord for that. I thought, that's a great idea, God. I've told him that lately, and I think he's like, yeah, you're a little slow, but, you know, you're worth waiting on. I really, just sincerely, I've just been thanking the Lord for that. It just seems marvelous to me, as simple as it is. And so, uh, it's no secret, there's a lot of families in this room. There's a lot of people, particularly in the phase of life where we have young children. And just the, the beauty of sharing this, this dedication moment with some of you this morning and many of you over the years and certainly some to come as well. It's a beautiful gift that the Lord has given us. It's a little chaotic. Um, you know, we've joked a little bit in staff meetings that the day's coming where we won't be releasing the children for their time of ministry. We will be releasing the adults for their time of ministry and the children can stay here. Because it's getting there. Uh, our proportion, uh, our, our ratio is, uh, is a little bit mind-blowing of number of children who check. I think some weeks we check like 120 children, fourth grade and under, uh, into children's ministry here. And I don't know if you know, but you know, usually we're around 300 adults. So I don't know how that compares to average, but I would say we're a blessed people. Sincerely, I think we're a blessed people. And, 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 um, and we have this incredible calling as... As parents, specifically, we're going to start with parents. It certainly goes beyond that. But we have this incredible calling and responsibility to raise our children, in, as Ephesians 6 says, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Simply this morning, want to encourage us to give ourselves wholeheartedly to that calling. You know you're called to this if you have any children at home. So that's your calling. Uh, if you're not sure if you're called to this, I can say definitely, 100%, you are absolutely called to this if you have children who reside in your home, or perhaps who used to reside in your home and now are older and don't reside in your home anymore. And, and we all, I, I think the calling you'll see will go beyond that, but just in case there's any confusion, we can definitely start there. If you have children in your home, then this is so pertinent and applicable. And again, my desire this morning, and I believe the Lord's desire this morning is simply this, just to call us to that, to that base foundation calling of nurturing our children in the fear of the Lord. I believe it's, it's, it's a very, very high calling, and we'll see, I think, again more as we go on how high indeed that it is. Look at Psalm 145, starting in verse 1. Psalm 145, starting in verse 1. David saying, I will extol you, my God and King, and I'll bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another. They shall praise your works, another translation says, to another. And shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. They, this is still speaking of that next generation. They'll pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. God wants this to happen at Bethany. One generation shall praise your works to another. God wants this to happen at Bethany. That one generation would praise His works to another generation. Sometimes God has to start fresh, right? Some of you are are a product of God just starting where that didn't happen. 
And I can, I, I totally understand that. And I'm, I'm, I'm in the same camp. Sometimes we didn't grow up hearing the, the, the works of God praised from our parents. And God just has a way of sneaking in sometimes. And I'm sure there's a hundred testimonies in this room of God doing that very thing in your life where you may look at your own life as I have it many times and wonder, how did you save me? That's incredible. And I, I think about even for, for myself uh, in, in the midst of brokenness and pain and, and, and the, the core structure that we just talked about, a family just being decimated in my own early years, of God not only saving me, but, but saving me through my brother and, and my brother at the same time. In fact, um, I, I love just testifying to, to the goodness of, uh, to, of God expressed to me through my brother. He was my older brother. And uh, as a younger brother, I wasn't too fond of him. And I especially wasn't too fond of him because he is a, he was a, uh, he was more of a parent to me than my parents were in many ways. Uh, we grew up on a farm. You're aware of this. I think I've mentioned it at least once before. And, and he was a slave driver. Like I, my dad had nothing on Ben. Ben would just rigidly require me to continue to work day in and day out. And I remember finding like ways that I could try to sneak away so he couldn't find me. And he would run me down and he would drag me back. I remember handfuls of hair being pulled out of my head at times because he would literally drag me back and require me to do whatever he thought was required of me. And yet it was through his witness to me. It might seem bizarre that God could witness to me through that kind of relationship, but he did. I was rebellious. I was angry. I, I, I knew God was real. I just didn't like him very much. And I, I wanted to sin and and I shared a bedroom with my brother, and my brother got saved at eight years old when my parents got divorced at a summer camp that they sent us to because they thought it was a good idea, and apparently it was a good idea. And he, he, lit, he gave his heart to Jesus wholeheartedly, gave his life to him. Really, to this day, has never turned back. Eight years old, nobody ever discipled him. We didn't go to a church that preached the gospel, and, and the Lord just nurtured him. And so God, God can do this. He can, he can break the rules, so to speak. He can go, uh, you know come from the, the back door to get us. And, uh, and, and again, through Ben's testimony to me, you know, I would, I would come home uh, from the barn because we didn't go anywhere else. And, um, and Ben would just be on the floor praying for two hours a day. And I would just, I would make fun of him because I didn't know what else to do and I was fairly immature. And, uh, and he would just keep doing it. He would read voluntarily. I wouldn't even read obligatorily. <laughs> uh, and I would, what is going on? And I watched this year in and year out. And finally one day, my grandmother gave me a Bible for my birthday, which was a total bummer when I was 16. I was really excited about whatever it was, and that just did not hit the mark for me that year. But I remember tucking it away, just kind of sliding it onto a shelf, I think because of reverence for my Oma, my grandmother. I, d- I didn't just toss it. And months later... I just had this inkling, I should probably just go read that. God was tricking me, you know, I didn't know what was going on, but I remember just thinking to myself, yeah, God, I'll read it as long as Ben doesn't see. If he sees me, it's over. Like, I, I, I'm going to have to humble myself then, and I wasn't really into humility at the time. And so I remember just flipping through the pages, and I was familiar enough with the Bible and started reading the book of Matthew, the Beatitudes, and I didn't get much of it, but my heart was moved, and I began to talk to God. And months later, by His grace, God came through the back door in my life as well. 
I heard the gospel clearly. The Holy Spirit was present. I was convicted. I repented, gave my heart to Jesus, and thank God. So he, he, he can come in however he wants. But his desire is that children grow up saturated in the knowledge of God, and not just in the knowledge of God, not just in the declaration of what he's done. But we just read in Psalm 145 that they shall, one generation shall praise your works to another. There's a difference between telling God's works to your children and praising God's works to your children. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you praise something, it, A, it's sincere. You know, we, we can maybe respond to this and think, wow, I need to pass along more accurate information to my children and sit down and bore them out of their skulls for hours at a time and give them information. That's not what Psalm 145 is talking about. Psalm 145 is saying parents and, and, and anyone capable of speaking to a younger generation The things that God has done, his wondrous deeds, you can read through the list here, the mighty works, his awesome deeds, praise those things. Make God look as great as he is or as close as you're capable of doing. Praise the works of God to your children. Saturate them knowing that God is is present, that he's real, that he came through for you in this way. They're going to face so much much, uh, resistance in holding fast their faith in the gospel as they grow older. Some of you have older children, and you're very well aware of this. Some of your children are old enough that they've made a decision against the gospel right now, and I, I just want to let you know that we'll, we're believing with you for your children as a church, and, uh, and, and, and our heart is for you, and, and it's not too late. And so to the degree that you may have given up or been discouraged in seeing your children follow this, or as, in as much as you might hear this this morning and think, it's too late for me. I wish I would have started doing this when they were young. It's not too late. God can get them, and he will. And I want to I just encourage those of you with older children who might have children who have, who have strayed from the faith that, that, that it's not too late. And God, the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom specifically on how to do that. Um, so, so God's desire is that children grow up in families where his praise, uh, where his works are praised, where God is praised. Um, that we, we pass knowledge to our children, not just through, through teaching, but through praising God's works. So if you're a parent, again, you're definitely 100% charged with this uh, responsibility and opportunity. And, and, and yet I believe it goes beyond that. And, and I love that Bethany's a multi-generational church. I'm not a grandparent, so I can't speak as a grandparent, but, but I, I have grandparents and, and I'm so deeply grateful for them. Uh, and, and, and I know that you grandparents who love and fear the Lord have that same heart for your grandchildren. And I, I really believe that the Lord intended for multiple generations to remain on the earth simultaneously so that that testimony of God's works goes more beyond just my parents. Because, you know, when you live in the same house with the same people for the, your whole life, uh, you know their weaknesses and you can point out their flaws and you can say, you have no credibility, Dad, because I know this and this and this about you. But when grandma and grandpa and aunt and uncle and cousin and nephew and niece, when they're all saying the same thing, it helps. It helps. And so I really believe that it was God's, again, I know this is really simple, but I really believe it was on purpose that we were given children in our youth so that three, four generations, ideally, I know that's not always the case, can coexist so that there's a multiple layer effect of the praises of God's works being spoken to to our children so that it solidifies their confidence 
in, in the truthfulness of God and in the goodness of God. You know, God could have given us all children when we were, you know, right near the end of, end of the road. And then they're just kind of off to fend for themselves. But he didn't do that. He, he gives us children in our youth. And it's very much by design so that this can happen. So God wants the hearts of our children to be nurtured first and foremost in the context of our family. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 6. I love that Pastor Jared read this this morning. was not coordinated, uh, but entirely appropriate and timely. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1, and then we'll uh, read through verse 9 and then pick it up again in verse 20 through 25. This is the great commandment. This is, this is like the big commandment. If the, the, the first thing that you know when you're a Jew is this. This is the Shema statement. It's, it's, it, it ties it all together. It pulls it together. This is the, now this is the commandment. The, statu- the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. This is Moses speaking to Israel. That you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God and that your son and your son's son, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I have commanded you, all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. In the land of flowing with milk and honey, hear, O Israel, the Lord... Our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you shall be on your heart. So they're on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. Teach them diligently to your children. Just, just ask the question, are you teaching diligently your children the commands of the Lord? Are we teaching them diligently? This is our call as, as parents, first and foremost. With our children, it's our mission within within our marriage, as the Lord gives us offspring, to teach them the commands of the Lord. They shall be on our heart. You'll teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. I love how he gets Paul, uh, God through Moses gets very specific in this passage. This shall be on your heart. You'll sh- teach them diligently. If you want to know what diligently teaching these commandments looks like, if you're sitting in your house. Teach them there. Sitting in your house. You don't have to have a formal Bible study hour to teach your children diligently the commands of the Lord. If you ever find yourself sitting, it's a preferable position, but of course with many young ones running around, I wish it happened more often than it did. Uh, But if you happen to find yourself in that posture and you're not sure what to talk about, maybe just talk about God's commands with your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk, by the way, if you're going somewhere. We don't walk very much. It's America. We drive lots of places. Um, and I love that my wife picked this up a few years ago. She just, instead of listening to cheesy Christian radio stations, she, I said that out loud, didn't I? Um, she, she, she put the Bible on in the car. Like, when you're walking in your way, because we drive. That's what we do. Especially if you live out where we live. You can't walk anywhere. Um, just li- listen to the command. I love that she incorporated that. I for for a season, I think she had the Book of Romans on repeat for whatever reason. Probably our stereo tape player thing was broken, so it just played the same tape over. And our kids, you could hear them reciting the Book of Romans because I think they heard it about forty times. 
It's a great way to teach them. Because I, I, I know sometimes we get intimidated, parents, when we hear this. We think, oh, I'm just not that parent. I'm not, I barely know what the Bible says itself. Great, learn it together. Ask your kids. They'll probably have some great questions for you if they're anything like mine. My kids constantly are asking me questions and making observations. And, you know, sometimes makes me scratch my head and I have to go do a little thinking and praying before I can really answer them. And that's great. Nope, no problems there. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, make it just part of your day. Bring God in. Bring Him in. Whatever you do, bring, let them know what your life is all about and how, God, how you interact with God in, in, the, in the work that you do, in the morning, in the evening, whenever. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. If you don't have any frontlets, neither do I. But you can get some, I guess. No, obviously these are, uh, you know... Uh, garments and, and functions mostly of, the, of the, the priesthood that were common in that day. Write, write stuff on your wall. You know, put up a plaque, a sign in your house. Make it visible that God is your God. And you don't need frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Look at, uh, just keep, keep going here. Verse 20. Skip down to verse 20. He goes on there. You can read it. But in verse 20, he says, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God, our God, has commanded you? Look at that passage. So it's telling us to do these things. Make God visible everywhere. Talk about his commandments. Morning, evening, sitting, driving, walking, standing, everywhere, all the time. Try to incorporate. Make, make, make the commandments of God part of your, your routine. And then I love this passage, when your son, when your son, with, with faith and expectation that the day will come, when your son in the time to come asks, when you've adequately provoked your child to ask the question, isn't that a great aim for us as parents? To, prov- to, 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 to provoke that question. What does this all mean, Dad? I, I've heard it. For, yeah, I've heard it. And, and let the Holy Spirit draw your child into asking that question. I'm not a big advocate of forcing children into, into formally saying prayers or, you know, uh, obliging them into, into some formal formality in regards to their relationship with God. I'm a bigger fan of provoking them to want it. And I get that in part from this passage. God doesn't want us to, to push our children forcefully to conform to some external code. He wants us to live in such a way with them, in loving relationship with them, in meaningful interaction with them, to cause them to ask, Dad, what is this thing? And then you shall say to your son, and this is obviously specific to the people of Israel at this time, but think of your own testimony in this. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed us signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from here that we, he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Wait till provoke them to ask, let them ask, And then tell them of the wonders of God in your life. Speak of his goodness in this way. 
And I believe in the context of families like that, we can ha- hold out that, that confidence that God will, in fact, in due time, bring our children into that knowledge of who he is. And I know, I, I just I sensed, I just want to encourage you again, just as praying for you this week in regards to this. I just know the Lord sees your effort. And few other people see your effort. Sometimes your, your spouse doesn't even see the labor in which you, 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 you go, you know, you, you push yourself to in, in these things. But the Lord knows, and I want to encourage you moms that, you know, are home maybe with your child and life seems, you know, hard, uh, unrewarding, or what have you. The Lord sees. He'll not forget your good work. You'll harvest You'll, you'll, you'll reap a harvest of righteousness if you don't give up, if you don't lose heart. So in the context of these homes, I believe that's God's desire to, to, to see children raised in this way. I, um, I tell my kids often that, because this is my, my heart for my children, I just tell them, guys, I want to spend eternity with you. I love you. I want to share in God's kingdom with you. What do you think we're going to do in the kingdom, guys? We, we have that conversation a lot. That's my vision for my children. I, I want to share, I want to know them forever. I really, really enjoy my children. And I have, obviously I have confidence and hope of my own welcome into, into the kingdom of, of God through Jesus, by His grace, through His blood, as every one of us can have that confidence. But I'm, I'm earnestly believing that I'll share eternity in the kingdom forever with every one of my children. That's my prayer for them. And I believe it's one that we can all have together. And it's one that we can influence. We can influence that. God can do it many different ways. God can come to our children the way that he has so many of us where we didn't have this. But this is his desire. And I want to encourage you beyond the, 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 the base family organism uh, that you have with your child, your children, to understand that to do this, to nurture a child's heart the way we're talking about, requires the church as well. It, re- it goes beyond, you know, it, it doesn't matter how gifted you are, because in some way that you're gifted, there's another way that you're not gifted. It doesn't matter even how diligent you are, because no matter how diligent you are, there's days where you're just not diligent, right? It doesn't matter how, how earnest and how, how sincere you are in your desire to do this. None of us, I believe, can do this adequately in isolation. And I, I take that in large part because I just believe the same thing about our own Christian faith at a personal level. We just, we're not supposed to do it by ourselves, Together with all the saints, we know how great, how high, how deep, how wide is the love of God through Ephesians 3. Together with all the saints, there's, there's, there's understanding, there's revelation, and there's, there's security that comes through your children growing up in the context of a church. And let me just broaden the, the definition of that, if, if necessary, beyond coming here on a Sunday morning, although I think there can be value here. I think there is some value here. I, I'm convinced, and, and, and I take this in part, uh, I read a survey a couple of years back. It was a secular survey that was done. And the question they were asking was, 
what, what, what are the indicators that help us know that a child will integrate into society as a, as a healthy contributor as opposed to somebody who just kind of goes off the rails? Don't remember exactly the language they used. But they were looking for the key indicators for that. And so they did a, an extensive amount of research. And the number one indicator that this survey found was that children who grew up having meaningful relationships with non-relative adults was the key indicator. I'll say it again in case you missed it. Meaningful relationships with non-relative adults. If you can relate as a child and you have opportunity uh, to interact in meaningful ways with people who are not part of your family, but they are adults, and you have meaningful interaction with them, that was the key indicator that this study found to, to point to that child will most likely integrate well into society. And I think if we were to take some of the understanding behind that and apply it within the context of the church, I think it stands to reason. I think when children can grow up, again, where, where this, this proclamation of God and his goodness stretches beyond simply that, that from parent to child, because that same parent is the same parent that's telling the kid every night, it's time to clean your room. They get tired of hearing from their parents. Maybe your kids are different than mine, but that happens. That, that same voice from the same person about the same stuff, and now you put God into that whole mix, it's easy for it to get blurred and, and, and lose its importance and lose its, the, 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 the necessary emphasis that it should have. But when you're hearing that message from every meaningful relationship that you have around you because your parents had the wisdom to bring you into a, into a sphere of relationships in which you're integrating with other adults who are saying to your child, God is good. Do you know what he did yesterday? I was in this crisis and God came through and here's my testimony. And whatever venue you need to find for that to happen, I want to encourage you parents to raise your children in the context of meaningful relationships with other families, with other adults, so your kids have that solidifying factor where they're not just hearing it from you. And I think it, 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 it secures that, 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 um, that hope that we have that they'll press through in, in the difficulty ahead for them. Because they'll think, that just wasn't my, my, my weird mom. That was everybody. It's all I ever heard growing up. I should go talk to Uncle Bill because he always had stuff to say about God. I want to see if, if he can counsel me. You know, when your t- kids get to be teenagers, they don't always come to you. Sometimes they go to other people. Parents strategically set them up with those people so that they go to the right people. I love Pastor Jared and his wife. As their children have come into their teenage years, they've, they've done a ceremony of rite of passage, of welcoming them into adulthood, and they've invited other adults uh, that, that they love and respect and who have relationship with their children to those ceremonies. And they formally said, I know some other families in the church have done the same thing. And they've said, these are people that you can go to anytime you need anything. That's awesome. And, and if your children are coming up to that age, I want to encourage you to, to do something, to welcome them into their adult years and to give them access and permission even to, to approach the people that you want them to approach because they're going to approach somebody. So we have this, this awesome call to raise our children in homes like this where they grow to know the Lord. One, one quick passage here before we, before we finish up. Look at Deuteronomy 9 verse 13. Um, sorry, Deuteronomy 31 verse 9 through 13. Deuteronomy 31. Just want to emphasize God's desire for all children. 
to be brought into this. Uh, hearing, consistent hearing of the commands of God, starting in verse 9 of Deuteronomy 31. It says, Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the, son of Levi, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booze, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place where he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. So all Israel gather once a year for this festival. And then he, he, he elaborates on who all Israel is. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner, the Gentiles within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law. And, their, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. Bring the little ones. They need to hear the word of the Lord too. Some of you have probably wondered at times why we insist on keeping our children in the worship service on Sunday morning as long as we do. Because it's just nuts. If you're a parent, it's crazy. Um, and if you're somebody sitting near a parent, it's crazy. But this is why. You know, my heart is, I, I wish they could stay longer. They need to hear it. They need to be introduced to the teaching of God. And, and obviously we have dedicated, faithful men and women who serve our children in that way. And they're, they're, they're sharing these things with, with them in, in, in their, their time of ministry, which is important as well. And again, I think there's value there. I think there's a lot of value there. But I think what we need to guard against is this idea that we outsource the discipleship of our children to a church. I think there's a real fear, a, a real challenge there for us to not think that way, in part because we're inundated with every program available under the sun for our children, midweek, during the weekend, this, that, the other. We can easily slip into the, the lazy thinking that says, somebody else will diligently teach my child the commands of the Lord. And it's not their job. It's our job. If that's part of your plan, use it. Utilize that. But you can't outsource the discipleship of your children. We just can't do that. God has called that to be transmitted. God called us to transmit that to them, to the little ones. And I would even encourage you, if you have children who are, you know, capable of, of staying in and, and really integrating with the material that's being delivered here during the service, if you want to give that a shot, you have permission to do that. You're, uh, you, can make, you can call the, the shots as you will for your family and see how that works. And a little disturbance is no skin off anybody's back here. We love the disturbance. It's a blessed disturbance. It does, does me no, no, it doesn't dishearten me in the least when kids are a little bit loud in here. I'm just glad we have them. And I think the Lord's glad we had them. When, when all of Israel assembled and the little ones were there, I'm sure there was a little bit of noise. And that's okay. Mark 9, I just told you that we'd finish up with that, but I'm not going to. Mark 9. One more. This is the last one. This call goes beyond parents. I know some of you here would want nothing more than to be parents. And I know the Lord shares your grief in that. Um, and we do, you know, to the degree that we're able to sympathize. Uh, and I'm sure there's others in your life who do. And, and some of you are just in a place where maybe, you know, you're not married and so no children to raise. You might think, oh, this doesn't apply. Or you might... Be at a place where your children are grown and maybe you have grandchildren. I want to encourage you grandparents to be engaged, to be part of this process, part of God's plan to raise up children who know the Lord through their families. But, but I believe this, there's a, a universal application for this. Look at Mark 9. We'll finish with this passage. 
I love this. Jesus is walking with his disciples. Verse 33 of Mark 9. When they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Anytime Jesus is asking questions, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he's setting them up, and he's doing it, and they should learn their lesson. And it seems they never do when you read the New Testament. They didn't ever get it. They, but Jesus had heard the whisperings on the path, and they thought, ah, Jesus didn't hear that, because if Knowing what they were talking about, if they knew Jesus was in earshot, they probably would have not been talking about it. So, hey guys, um, what, what were you talking about when we were walking here to Capernaum? But they were silent. Shoot. Busted. For on the way, they had been discussing with one another who was the greatest. And they had heard enough from Jesus to know that wasn't going to fly. Jesus wasn't into this whole who's the greatest jostling. He had some words to say about that. They were there when he shared the Sermon on the Mount. Ouch! And they knew they were burned already. As soon as he asked the question, I'm sure their hearts just dropped and thought, oh, we are so in for it. But it's good, isn't it? When it's Jesus, it's okay. You can take it from Jesus, because he's so gentle even when he cuts to the core of our fleshliness. They were silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve. He's like, all right, guys, little team meeting time. Pull together. And he said to them, if any of you would be first, he must be last of all and the servant of all. Boom. He just levels real quick. No like, hey, I think you're a great guy, but, you know, this, he didn't follow pop psychology. You know, sandwich them with nice compliments and give them a real doozy in between. It's just like, here's the deal, guys. We're, not, we're, we're on the clock. We've got some people to feed and some gospel to preach. So, if you want to be great, you got to serve everybody. What I love about that is that Jesus never, and he never does, he never, ever rebukes any of his disciples' desire for greatness ever in the Gospels. And he doesn't do it here. He actually, he feeds it. He says, oh, you want to be great? That's great that you want to be great. I want to be great too. I'm going to die in a few weeks. That's how I'm going to be great. I'm going to be the servant of all. I'm going to lay down my life for you so that you can be invited into this kingdom legitimately that I've been telling you about for the last couple of years. I'm going to die. And before I do that, I'm not going to go out in glory right before my death and be exalted. I'm actually going to wash your feet because that's what I've been doing all this time because I'm God. I made you and you still haven't totally accepted me, but that's okay. Being misunderstood is part of being a servant. So I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm going to serve you. So you want to be great? That's great. Be great like me. I'm going to die. You can die too. And they did. They did. You want to be great? That's great. And then he says this. Watch what he does. He's such a great teacher. This isn't a separate passage or a separate time. You want to be great? Be the servant of all. And he took a child and put it in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them. It's all in the same breath. Same series of events. He's illustrating it. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So you want to be great. That's great. Serve. Who do you, who do you serve? One of these. Serve a child. You know why I think Jesus emphasize this it wasn't just for effect it's for real it's for real for us you want to be great parents serve your children 
all your days. Start today if you haven't been doing that. It's a great time to start. It's not too late. You want to be great and you don't have a child of your own to serve? Find a child that needs to be served. Serve them. Because if you do that, you know who you're serving? God. If you're doing it in the name of Jesus. If you're doing it in the name of Jesus, you're welcoming him when you serve. You know what's great about serving kids? They don't give you anything in return. So they'll really test your sincerity. They can't vote for you. They can't pledge to your campaign. And they can't, you know, boast about you on Facebook and get you a big following. And that's the point. They can't do anything for you. And thus, the sincerity of your serving is tested. If you want to be great, serve a child. How? Obviously, if you have your own, start there. If you have capacity beyond those that you have. I love that God has birthed this adoption movement in our church. That's, that's, that's the real deal. Bring a child into your home that doesn't have a home. Give them one. Make them your own. It's what God did for you. I know a number of folks in this church have been giving foster care and are in the process of preparing to do that. If you have the capacity to do that, by all means, in the name of Jesus, welcome a child into your home for a weekend or a month or however long. Serve them. If you have it in your heart, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you to serve children in this church, they need that extra layer of support to hear the commandments of God taught to them in, 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 in our time of ministry with them. If you have it in your heart to do that, if the Holy Spirit's whispering you to do that, contact, get in touch with Pastor Jared. Do it today so you don't forget. Go talk to him. Go to the children's ministry booth right after service and say, hey, I want to I look at this. And, and, and let's believe together for a generation that we have influence over our own and as many as we can reach. Servant youth ministry. I love, Neil, are you here this morning? Neil and Natasha, I know you had a long weekend. You didn't sleep much. You were at a choir of the fire. How was that, Neil? Did you guys have a good time? I love that Neil invests in a generation in addition to his own children. Go hang out with Neil. Love on some teenagers. Yeah! <laughs> they just asked for it. Teach them the commands of God. Tell them what God has done in your life. And let's be a church who has a vision for a generation beyond us. I know we think of ourselves in some ways as a young church because there are so many young families. We're not young to a 14-year-old. We're ancient to (laughs) 14-year-olds. Dinosaurs. You're not young. If you're sitting in here, there's very few exceptions. You're not young. You might think, "I, I I can't be a father to somebody. If you're like, you know... Out of high school, there's probably somebody in here that you can take that level of leadership in somebody's life. Serve them. Teach them. Love them. Amen? Let's have a vision for a new generation to enter the kingdom through the influence that God has given us. Let's pray. Stand up and pray together. Father, I ask that you would put in our hearts that passion that you have. Clearly, throughout the scriptures, in in Israel we see it so well illustrated that you desired 
for each new generation to know your wonders through the witness, through the testimony, through the life of their parents and their grandparents and their communities. God, I pray that this church would be that community to those in here. Lord, for those who are disconnected, Father, I pray that you would you would step in and help those who, who haven't found that, that level of integration into your body here. Bring them in in whatever regard, God. Um, God, I pray that you would just set them up with... with uh, like-minded, like-hearted believers. God, I pray that our children would grow together. I pray that they would grow knowing you together. God, I even pray that our children would spur each other on. God, that they would they would recount the works that you've done in the lives of those around them to their friends. And Father, I pray that these children would share in the kingdom forever. Mine, God, every child uh, of every person in this room. And Father, many, many, many more. God, we ask that you would you would do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.